Thanks for listening to Victory's podcast today. Connecting people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus is what we're all about. For more resources or to reach out to us, go to victorychristian.church. Well, I'm going to go ahead and open us up with some prayer, if that's all right. Um, you know, this year, uh, the year of 2023, our theme was prayer this year. So we're going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll get going. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for a wonderful 2023. Thank you so much for your blessings. And I just ask that you will use me to speak your words today and that um, you'll just uh, allow people to hear from you today in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I thought about as we end 2023, should I wrap up with a message on prayer? But as I was praying and thinking about what God had for me, um, I, I kind of came to the conclusion of a little bit more of a New Year's message of peaks and valleys. And, you know, it's interesting because as I, as I prayed about it and researched it and everything, I realized that really um, when we go through the peaks and valleys in our relationship with Christ and with, in our very lives, prayer is an essential part of that. So I think it's a really neat way to end where, you know, communi- communion with God and our relationship with God is really the key to navigating life's peaks and valleys. But um, you know, as I was thinking about this, uh, who here has ever had a terrible, no good, really bad day? Yeah? Man, I know I have had my fair share of those. And I think each and every one of you, if you didn't raise your hand, you're probably not being completely honest because I think we've all had those days. You know, those days where no matter what happens, you just, you're annoyed at everything. And you just, you're trying to have a good attitude, but you just can't. Everything is just hard. And you're just discouraged. And, you know, I was, I remember telling my wife a few months back, I was like, I'm sorry, I'm annoyed at you. I'm just having trouble today. Everything is annoying me. And I just, I'm just trying to get over it, right? And, you know, we all need a fresh start sometimes. Maybe you're sitting here and you're coping with loss. Maybe you feel like you're in need of a change in your life. Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a rut. Maybe you are struggling with bad habits. Maybe you struggled with these habits for years and you just can't seem to shake it. Or maybe you have a lack of community, purpose, or meaning. Maybe you're feeling discouraged or depressed. Maybe you're stuck in a job that you hate or you you wake up, you just don't want to do life today. We've all been there and we've all been in one of these situations or more where we're just having a bad day and we're in the valley of life. You know, my daughter Everly, my second oldest, she was having a bad day recently. The day before, she had put on her helping hat and she had been great. She was going around helping mom with all the stuff around the house that needed to be done and she was doing a fantastic job. But the next day, for whatever reason, sometimes you just don't know with a five-year-old, right? Uh, But she was just having a bad day, and she knew it. And she was just going around and being a grouch and not listening to mom. And, you know, she was just having a rough day. And I sat down with her. And I said, Everly, I was like, do you want to snuggle with daddy, watch a show and take a nap, and just push the reset button on the day? And with a tear in her eye, she's like, yeah. And so we laid down. We watched an uh, episode of Bluey, great cartoon if you haven't seen it. Uh, we watched an episode of Bluey, and she fell asleep, and I fell asleep. We took a nap, and when she woke up, you know, 
things were a little better, and she had hit the reset button on the day. And, you know, it's great to be able to do that, but I think all of us need to be able to hit the reset button in our life sometimes, you know? I think we've all been there. Um, And the Bible is full of examples of peaks and valleys. Psalm 23 talks about this. This is my favorite psalm. It is super deep. It's only six verses long, but if you study it, there is so much depth in this song. And I want to talk, psalm, and I want to talk a little bit about it today. We're going to start at verse six, and it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And it's talking about God. Your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We're going to go on to see the, the rest of it in a second, but I want to talk about this because clearly this is one of the valleys in life, one of the dark spots, right? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, I don't know the specific circumstances the author here was talking about, but I can tell you the valley of the shadow of death does not sound like a good time, does it? It's not where you would want to hang out. And You know, as the author is talking about this, it's clear that there are some difficult things going on. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But the cool part is that it shows that God is with him even in this dark time. It says, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, to the people of the day when he was writing this, this had a lot of meaning. For you today, you might think, okay, this is nice. Um, Jesus, God, and Jesus is the shepherd here in the story and is with me. The rod and the staff, they comfort me. That's all great. But a lot of times we don't get the deeper meaning because we don't see what the rod and the staff are for. And I want to talk about that for a second because this adds a lot of meaning to God walking through the valley with you. You see, the rod was one of the most common and most needed tools that a shepherd had. And a lot of people, when we think of the rod, we think of discipline, right? You know, I've heard the, I've heard the verse, he who spares the rod hates his son. And, you know, people think, okay, that means spanking, right? And the rod was used for so much more than just discipline. And it's really important to understand because when we think about God walking through the tough times with us, We need to understand what it is that God is doing for us and what it is that it means that he is our shepherd, right? And so the rod had four main uses, okay? The first use was to inspect the sheep. You see, the sheep often got parasites biting into their skin or they got sores or lesions or things that were bothering them. And the shepherd would use the rod to move the wool aside and to inspect the condition of the sheep and take care of them. So when the, when the shepherd found a parasite, he would remove the parasite or found a wound, he would care to, for the wound and tend to the wound. And so this was the first use of the rod. And the second use was when the sheep started wandering over and getting towards danger. Like let's say there was a ditch or a cliff or, or some briar bushes or something that the sheep was getting a little too far away, the shepherd would sometimes throw the rod out ahead of the sheep to warn the sheep of the danger and scare the sheep back to the flock. The third use for the rod was of a disciplined type where if the sheep was going out of line or getting towards where the shepherd didn't want it, the, the shepherd would tap the sheep on the side or the shoulder 
to get the sheep back in line. So there was a form of discipline, but not the primary purpose of the rod. And the fourth use of the rod was for protection. You see, sheep are slow and juicy. There's a lot of things that want to eat a sheep, right? Sometimes there were wolves or bears or something coming out that want to get the sheep. Well, the rod was a nice tool for protecting the sheep. So then we get to the staff. The staff had two, two primary uses. The first was also for protection. It was a longer thing. It could be used to protect the sheep from danger. But it was also the, the life ring. If you think about a boat, when, when you throw a life ring to somebody, it was the life ring for the sheep. So you, you see, if a sheep got stuck down a hill or a ditch or in the thorns or something like that, the shepherd would use that big crook on the staff to wrap around the sheep and pull it to safety. And it was a rescue device for the shepherd and for the sheep. And so you see, when we are walking through the hard times of life, the Bible promises that God will be with us like a good shepherd, using the rod and the staff. So God inspects your condition and knows where you are hurting and wants to care for you. God wants to protect you. Yes, God wants to get you in line when you're facing danger. Sometimes Sometimes there is a disciplinary aspect, but God also wants to protect us. Just like a good shepherd wants to care for his sheep, God comes alongside us and wants to care for us. But the cool thing about Psalm 23 is it doesn't end in the valley of the shadow of death, right? It goes on to talk about what God does for his sheep. And you see, the next thing, we'll bring it, if you bring it back up again, Psalm 23 says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. I anoint your head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, this is really cool because you've just been walking through the valley of the shadow of death. You're going through a tough time. But then God says, I will bless you, and bless you to the point where even your enemies will see the blessing. I'm going to prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Your enemies will see the blessings that I am bestowing upon you. Your cup overflows means that the blessings that are poured back on you will be abundant. I will anoint your head with oil. You are chosen of God. You are his child. And then the last verse. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, we have victory in the end. Despite the challenges of life, God has overcome the world. You know, the Bible says in John 16.33, In this world you will face trials, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Now, I think it's really, really important to realize that the peaks and valleys of life do not necessarily and do not even typically correspond to righteousness and sinfulness. You see, a lot of times we feel a lot of guilt when we're going through the valleys. And we might feel some pride when we're on those peaks and mountaintops and things are going well in our life. But Scripture is full of examples that show that the valleys and the tough times of life does not mean that you were sinful, and that's why you're there. And the peaks do not mean that you're full of righteousness, and that's why you deserve the good times. 
you know, sometimes sinfulness can correspond with tough times. Absolutely. So I'm not trying to say that it can't. But look at Job, for example. Job went through the toughest time of his entire life, and his friends came along beside him and said, what did you do wrong, man? Right? They said, you must have done something wrong to deserve this. Where's the sin? Where's the hidden sin in your life? But Job had not sinned. And I think of on the other side, King David, at the peak of his reign, he was king. He had overcome. He was the authority in Israel. And yet, at that peak, that's when he was tempted by Bathsheba. And that's when he had his biggest, arguably biggest sin of his life and biggest fall. And it had nothing to do with the fact he was at a peak or when Job was at the valley. Now, sometimes sin does correspond with the valley, and sometimes there's things we're dealing with that we're trying to grasp. But I don't want you to feel guilty and shame just because you're going through a hard time. I think that's really important. So, on our own, we are in trouble when we're going through a hard time, right? But with God, God promises that we can have victory with Him. You know, the Bible says that if you cry out, God will answer you. There's a lot of verses about this, that if you seek me, you will find me if you search for me with all your heart. When you are in those tough times, it's important not to stop, but to seek the Lord and what He has for you, because God promises good things for you when you follow Him. It doesn't mean life will be easy. Remember, we just said, in this world you will face trials, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So there's still going to be hard times if you follow Christ. But in the end, there will be victory. I think, I think about what Paul said. It's a really cool thing. It's, uh, he said, it has been granted to me on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Now, this seems kind of contradictory at first because it's like, well, it's a blessing to believe in Christ, yes. But why is it a blessing to suffer for Christ? You know, even though we believe in Christ, it doesn't mean we're going to have easy times all the time. But suffering for him can actually be a blessing in our life because we get to follow the one who has saved us and we get to give back a little bit to him. And it's a hard thing to understand, but when you really pursue Christ and build your relationship with him, you start to understand that the relationship with Christ and the blessings in the end are well worth the suffering in the short term. I want to talk about a specific example because I think there's a lot, a lot of times we hear the concept of, right, there's valleys and there's peaks and walking alongside God. But what does that look like? I think, I think stories in Scripture help us to understand people that walk through this and what that actually looks like. But I think um, a good verse to think about when we are talking about walking through the challenging times is he, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Because if you are following Christ, God promises that he will continue to work through you till the end, and he will carry it on to completion. So we're going to look at the story of Elijah today, because I think, I was, I was thinking about what is a good example of this in Scripture, and Elijah came to my mind, because Elijah had some enormous peaks and valleys in his life. And the cool thing about this story is you can see God working through both. You can see God working through the peaks and the valleys of Elijah's life. And so let me set the stage for you real quick of this story. So King Ahab had come to power, and King Ahab was a wicked king. He was following false idols and turning away from God. And 
he also married a woman who was arguably even more wicked than he was, Jezebel. If you remember that name from the Bible, it's not a, not a good name in the Bible um, because Jezebel was an evil woman that was trying to turn the kingdom away from God. So God called Elijah to go to King Ahab. He had the enviable job of telling the king of the land that because of your wickedness, God is going to cause a drought in the land. That's not what any of us want to do, right? Go to the ruler, the king who could kill you, and say, you know, God's going to curse your land because of your evilness. But he did, and Elijah had to flee. And he was in the wilderness hiding from King Ahab. And King Ahab sent messengers to all the surrounding areas saying, have you seen Elijah? And he made them promise that they could not find Elijah. And he was trying to find Elijah. And Jezebel... She was working her wicked ways, and she was rounding up the prophets of God and killing them because she was trying to get rid of any form of godliness in the land. And, and so this is, this is kind of the backdrop to the story. And we're going to drop in where Elijah is about to come face to face with King Ahab once again after three years of drought. And there was famine in the land because of this drought. So we're going to pick up here at 1 Kings 18, verses 17. When he saw Elijah, this is Ahab, when Ahab saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel, and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all of Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So I'm going to pause for a second. You see, Elijah was called by God to set up this test. And he is challenging these, these false prophets to kind of a, a spiritual duel to set up these altars and to pray to their God and see who, whose God will call down fire from heaven and light up the bull. All right, so that's, where, that's the setting. They're going up on this mountain and they're doing that. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call in the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them, shouting, shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god, perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears as was their custom until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying. 
until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, you, your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar to the name of the Lord. He dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seas of seeds. He arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. And remember, this was a time of great drought. Water was a precious commodity. They didn't have enough to even give their animals enough water to drink. And yet he was telling them, pour it all over the altar. And they did it. So it said, the water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench around the altar. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, Go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of heavy rain. You see, I, I wanted to read this whole passage because this is a powerful story of Elijah following God and experiencing that mountaintop moment in his life. And, you know, fire came down and even burned up the rocks and the water. You know, imagine being there that day and seeing this. I'm sure they were in awe of what God had done. And this was such a cool and powerful thing. And Elijah, God's prophet, was following the Lord in this. And, you know, just to think about somebody like that and getting to experience that, like, he must have been able to follow God through the hard times, right? Well, I think it's really cool because we see him following God despite all of these challenges. Yet, in the very next chapter, the very next chapter, we see that all of a sudden Elijah starts going through a valley. You see, right after this happened, the rain came back to the land just as Elijah had said. And the land was being restored. But guess what? Jezebel was furious because he had just killed hundreds of prophets that she had kind of cultivated and she would eat with them. And she was furious at this. So she sent word to Elijah. She said, surely I will kill you within the next day. And you would think this man of God who had just been able to pray to God and this miracle had happened and God is you know, taking care of him and this powerful, you know, powerful and all this stuff, you would think that he'd be like, you know what? So what? You want to try to kill me? I've got God. But no, he was terrified. He fled. He fled into the wilderness and ran away. So we're going to look at that real quick. So 
This is 1 Kings 19, 3-9. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Bathsheba in Judah, he left his servant there. While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the brush and fell asleep. He was at the end of his rope, right? You don't pray that God would take your life and that you would die unless you are in some serious trouble and you are in that valley. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horab, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. What I think is cool about this story is that despite Elijah having arguably one of the greatest mountaintop experiences he could have had in his spiritual journey, he still faced extreme difficulties. He still experienced the valleys. But God was still with him. God had not abandoned him in his trials. You know, he sent the angel to him. And, and Elijah's story doesn't end in the valley. I think that's really important because a lot of us, when we're going through the valley, we feel like that is where the story is going to end. But if we know Christ... God promises victory in the end. And with, uh, with Elijah, he communed with God, and then he was called to recruit another prophet to follow him, Elisha. And then he was one of only two people in the Bible that his story ends with him going to heaven and never seeming to experience death. He literally went up to heaven in a chariot of fire in the last miracle in his life. And it's a really cool story, but he didn't end the story in that valley. And, you know, as I'm looking at this, it seems like, okay, well, that's cool. He had this really neat experience, and he had this trial afterwards. But how does this, you know, like with me, like I'm not a prophet of God, and, you know, how does this relate to me? But I think it's really important throughout Scripture, we can see many, many people both prophets and lowly shepherd boys like David who went through the peaks and valleys. And you know, even Jesus, Jesus himself went through peaks and valleys in his life. And you know, Jesus was without sin, but I think it's just part of the human condition with sin in the world that we will face difficult times. And I think about arguably the greatest trials and valleys that anyone ever went through was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember his prayer. He said, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And I think this is the key to walking through the valley. It is okay to not want to be in the valley or dealing with what you're struggling with. But are you submitted to God? You see, Jesus said, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus submitted to his heavenly Father. And as we know, he went through death on the cross to pay for our sins. But again, Jesus' story didn't end in the valley because 
He was raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, and he lives. We serve a living God. I want to end with going back to Psalm 23. You see, there is hope when you're going through the valley. If you submit to Christ and you are following him with your life, there is hope because remember, Psalm 23 ends with um, that he will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So as we're entering into this new year in 2024, I encourage you, I want to, my challenge for you is whether you are on a peak or a valley in your life is to say, are you submitted to Christ? Are you in prayer with him and communion with him and truly submitting yourself to Christ? And, you know, maybe you have uh, believed in Christ for many, many years, but Are you submitting to him currently with where you're at in life? And maybe you have never come to know Christ as your Savior. And if that's the case today, you don't have to wait another day. You know, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. It's that simple. It's submitting to him, confessing that he is Lord of your life and believing that God raised him from the dead, that we serve a living God. If you've never done that, today is a wonderful day to do that. And so I'm going to invite our prayer team up because what I'd like you to do is if you need prayer for something or if you want to make Jesus Lord of your life, then you can come up and pray with our prayer team. And we want to know about the decision that you've made. So I'm going to close this with prayer. And then if you would like to come up and get prayer for a valley you're walking through or challenge in your life, or if you would like to make Jesus as the Lord of your life, we just want to welcome you to do that with us today. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for walking through us, through the valleys with us, and for sending your Son to make the ultimate sacrifice to pay for our sins. We are so thankful that, that you have given us the victory in the end, and that we don't have to stop in the valley, but that our story can end with you in victory. And we just uh, we thank you for even the hard times, and we just ask that you'll help us walk through those and that, uh, that you'll just be with us. And we also thank you that we can have that relationship with you, that we can submit to you as Lord of our life and believe that you are alive and that you want that relationship with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to connect with us, or if you'd like to know how you can give, go to victorychristian.church.